0: On today's episode, Italian fascism, the
1: futurists and the furious, and the origin of the listicle. What's a listicle? What's well, a listless article?
0: Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. I'm Seth Lauer.
1: And this is Javier Proenza. We're Los Angeles-based artists who meet every week to share the answers we found to the questions we have.
0: Join us as we explore and expand our worldviews through research and ask, what's my thesis?
1: I don't think you can read your handwriting as well as I can (laughs) read my typing, but... That was one of the worst.
0: (laughs) You you, you go to such extremes.
1: (laughs) I think we should just start the episode from there. Okay, so how are you doing, Javier? I'm doing pretty good, man. How how was your week? What did you get into this week? Anything exciting? Any any huge dramas?
0: There actually was some drama, but I don't really know if I can talk about work get drama into it too much. I've been reading a lot about Buddhism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: It's not unrelated?
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think that you have shown that you're reading Buddhism by the way you deflected that, that situation. What did you learn about Buddhism? <laughs> that you're not a Buddhist?
0: Yeah, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot there. I didn't realize like how much of it is actually about reincarnation. Hmm. Like I've always kind of separated it in my mind between like um more of like spiritual psychological mental health practice from a religious practice. Mm-hmm. But I think also one thing that makes it confusing is there are just so many different types and schools within that. There's uh, terrorist Buddhists. yeah, this this was actually. So, like you're talking about Myanmar, Burma. Situation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I think I am.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I am. This was actually something that was interesting to me because um, I don't know why that should be so surprising. You know, there there are violent genocides in you know every category of religion and and person, right? I th- yeah. Genocide's fun, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I mean, uh-huh. t- we we. I t- just t- kind
1: of t- don't want to touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> <here>. <laughs> Start the episode, getting the whole show like, goes viral, and we get fucked. Okay, well, should we just leave it there? <laughs> yeah, we should. I think. So doing all this research for the podcast has made me like very uh, full of information. And I am. I tend to be a little bit more confident talking than yeah. uh, than maybe the average person. And now that I'm full of all this information, I have to watch myself to not just go on fucking rants yeah. like I'm doing the podcast again. Uh-huh. But I just like all of this stuff is like so interesting to me. I'm just like trying to have a conversation with people. But yeah, sometimes I, I get the sense that uh, there's a cynicism to my worldview that that is off putting <laughs> to okay. say the least but uh, is
0: this do you feel that way only about topics that you've already covered for the show or just in general well
1: i mean i'm just i just find myself talking a lot sometimes it's to great effect but there are some people where they just their eyes glaze over mm. you know like mostly dates tinder dates
0: <laughs> <laughs> they probably their eyes get really excited when you tell
1: them that you have a podcast oh i'm sure i'm sure they love it i
0: mean if they don't already know
1: let's pretend there's a break with some music here before we transition okay so there's a break in the episode i love how (laughs) and let's leave all of this explanation in there
0: (laughs) um is that should we cut that thing out about the genocide is that
1: no (laughs) that's hilarious we didn't do anything about genocide yeah or do you feel like you're out in the woods there like you may have said it, we'll have to listen to it again, man. Maybe, maybe, no, you are, it's, it's just maybe you, know. you microaggressed all over this podcast. We're gonna get into some ideology in mind, which is fun, a little bit more, more fun. So, I think it's probably time to take a break and then we'll start our actual topics. Sound good? Yeah. So yeah, my topic today, well, I'll just start and then we'll get into it. It'll be clearer, maybe a little bit in, or maybe you'll get it right away. Emilio Angelo Carlo Marinetti. Do you know who that is? No. You will, I think, eventually. So he grew up in Alexandria, Egypt. His father, a lawyer, and his mother, a daughter of a literary literary professor were from northern Italy and had moved to Egypt as guest of Ismail Pasha, a.k.a. Ismail the Magnificent, to serve as legal advisors to foreign companies that were involved in Ismail's modernization program. His mother exposed Emilio to Italian and European literature and poetry as a boy. He would get a baccalaureate degree in 1894 from the Sorbonne in Paris and a law degree from the University of Pavia in 1899. However, he eventually followed his artistic leanings instead of his father's footsteps and became a writer. Emilio Marinetti would write many poems, novels, and plays under the pen name Filippo Tommaso Marinetti. Do you know who this is yet? Hmm. Okay. But he's best known as the author of the Futurist Manifesto and founder of the Futurist Art Movement of the early 1900s. The Manifesto was first published in French on the front page of Le Figaro on 20 February 1909. It begins... I gotta get into the mode because he's got a fun writing style. We have been up all night, my friends and I, beneath mosque lamps whose brass cupolas are bright as our souls because like them, they were illuminated by the internal glow of electric hearts and trampling underfoot our native sloth on opulent carpets. We have been discussing right up to the limits of logic and scrawling the paper with demented writing. Our hearts were filled with the immense pride at feeling ourselves standing quiet, alone, like lighthouses, or like sentinels in an outpost, facing the army of enemy stars encamped in the celestial bivouacs. I'm gonna just pronounce the word that way, but it's B-I-V-O-U-A-C-S. He continues with this kind of writing style to describe a car ride that he took with his friends where they hunted like young lion's death with its black fur dappled with pale crosses who ran before us in the vast violet sky, palpable and living. The dangerous speed is a thrill to him, so I I looked it up. The fastest car in 1909 had a top speed of 73 miles per hour. That's 117 kilometers for people that... Do stuff that way. The car was a Mercedes Simplex with a horsepower of uh, 60 horsepower engine. And I know that doesn't seem like much. And actually, he didn't have that car, he had a Fiat, so it was probably nowhere near as fast. My first car was a 1970 Dodge Dart, it was avocado green, it was awesome. And it was so rickety that when I hit forty five miles an hour it felt like I was flying cause it was just like ah! <laughs> it was just a machine that didn't seem like it could handle it.
0: And I'm sure um, there are no seat belts and
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like yeah, so so you'll see. Like I'm gonna skip around cause this thing gets a little bit long. We drove on, crushing beneath our burning wheels, like shirt collars under the iron, the watchdogs on steps of houses. Death Tamed went in front of me at each corner, offering me his hand nicely and sometimes lay on the ground with a noise of crackling jaws giving me velvet glances from the bottom of puddles. Let us leave good sense behind like a hideous husk, and let us hurl ourselves like fruit spiced with pride into the immense mouth and breast of the world. Let us feed the unknown, not from despair, but simply to enrich the unfathomable reservoirs of the absurd. As soon as I had said these words, I turned sharply back on my tracks with the mad intoxication of puppies biting their tails, and suddenly there were two cyclists disapproving of me and tottering in front of me with two persuasive but contradictory reasons. Their stupid swaying got in my way. What a bore. Pwah! I stopped short, and in disgust hurled myself, blah, head over heel in a ditch. Oh, maternal ditch, half full of muddy water, a factory gutter. I savored a mouthful of strengthening muck, which recalled the black teat of my Sudanese nurse. As I raised my body, mud-splattered and smelly, I felt the red-hot poker of joy deliciously pierce my heart. And so then he gets into like how they pulled the car out of the the water and he's very resentful towards naturalists and like people, like Mm, yokels, I would Uh say, Italian yokels. But anyway, I'm going to go into the manifesto of futurism, which one of the things that's interesting about him is that he does this list in all of his manifestos. We'll talk about another one that is always 11 and then... The 11th one is just a long rambling. I don't know how many words, but it's pretty long. So, Manifesto of Futurism. Number one. Sorry, were you going to say something? Do you know why he always goes to eleven? I don't know, but there is something that I want to... Like, we're basically going to talk about his influence. And I think that one of the things that's amazing is that he got the listicle before anybody else, right? Like, he, he just... The, there's a lot of rambling. It's like an article with a listicle. And in fact, one of the things I'm gonna talk about later uses that to make a listicle. So Manifesto of Futurism. Number one, we wanna sing the love of danger, the habit of energy and rashness. Number two, the essential element of our poetry will be courage, audacity and revolt number three literature has up to now magnified pensive immobility ecstasy and slumber we want to exalt movements of aggression feverish sleeplessness the double march the perilous leap the slap and the blow with the fist number four We declare that the splendor of the world has been enriched with a new beauty, the beauty of speed, a racing automobile with its bonnet adorned with great tubes like serpents with explosive breath. A roaring motorcar, which seems to run on machine gun fire, is more beautiful than the victory of Samothrace, which is a Hellenistic marble sculpture of Nike. And we'll see, he doesn't like old art. We want to sing the man at the wheel, the ideal axis of which crosses the earth, itself hurled along its orbit. number six the poet must spend himself with warmth glamour and prodigality to increase the enthusiastic fervor of the primordial elements oh my god he's so wordy number seven beauty exists only in struggle there is no masterpiece that has not an aggressive character poetry must be a violent assault on the forces of the unknown to force them to bow before man and also he keeps saying poetry because he's a poet Uh, or i guess he's identified as a poet but i think that maybe that's not necessarily appropriate for him to just call him a poet we are on the extreme promontory of the centuries. What is the use of looking behind at the moment when we must open the mysterious shutters of the impossible? Time and space died yesterday. We are already living in the absolute since we have already created eternal omnipresent speed. It's got a big love for speed. Number nine, we want to glorify war. The only cure for the world, militarism, patriotism, the destructive gesture of the anarchists, the beautiful ideas which kill, the contempt for women. He's a misogynist. He's in favor of contempt for women? Yeah. That's actually... uh, I uh, was with him until he got to that I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I will get into that. So, yeah. So, but it's not just that. Like, glorify war. The only cure for the world. There's another one where he says war is hygiene. I don't know if I cut it out by accident. Number 10, we want to demolish museums and libraries, fighting morality, feminism, and all opportunist and utilitarian cowardice. So we're getting into it. Okay? This guy's (laughs) intense. I'm glad you like him. We will sing the great crowds agitated by work, pleasure and revolt, the multicolored and polyphonic surf of revolutions in modern capitals, the nocturnal vibrations of the arsenals and the workshops beneath their violent electric moons, the gluttonous railway stations devouring smoking serpents, factories suspended from the clouds by the thread of their smoking. That's actually a nice one. Bridges with the leap of uh, gymnasts flung across the diabolic cutlery of sunny rivers, adventurous steamers sniffing the horizon and it just goes on so i'm just like whatever we got number 11 right
0: I yeah. kind of want to know more about those adventurous steamers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sniffling the horizon, great-breasted locomotives puffing the rails like enormous steel, horses with long tubes for bridle, and the gilding flight of airplanes whose propeller sounds like the flapping of a flag and the applause of enthusiastic clouds. He's really big into metaphor. Um, I mean, is is it metaphor?
0: Is he? I mean, part of it seems like it's... Is this the kind of boosterism for, like, industrial advancement and... Like- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: He's a, he, he. he's a propagandist for sure. And he's very, he's like flat out a fascist. We'll get into it. Okay. So anyway, he continues this, that, that's the list. I, like I said, 11 is pretty long. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like he writes a list. And then at the end, he's just like, <laughs> 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 list done. So the, he, it goes on. It is in Italy that we're issuing this manifesto of ruinous and incendiary violence by which we today are founding futurism because we want to deliver Italy from its gangrene of professors, archeologists, tourist guides, and antiquaries. Italy has been too long the great second-hand market. We want to get rid of the innumerable museums which cover it with innumerable cemeteries. Museums, cemeteries, truly identical in their sinister juxtaposition of bodies that do not know each other. Public dormitories where you sleep side by side forever with beings you hate or do not know. To make a visit once a year as one goes to see the graves of our dead once a year, that we could allow. We can even imagine placing flowers once a year at the feet of the jaconda. But to take our sadness, our fragile courage, and our anxiety to the museum every day, that we cannot admit. Do you want to poison yourself? (laughs) Do you want to rot? What can you find in an old picture except the painful contortions of artists trying to break uncrossable barriers which obstruct the full expression of his dream? And it goes on about museums for three paragraphs. It's 140 words. He doesn't like looking back at the past. He's not really into museums. Mm -hmm. So here's where it gets interesting and, you know, fascist. Let the good incendiaries with charred fingers come. Here they are. Keep up the fires to the shelves of the libraries. Divert the canals to flood the cellars of the museum. Let the glorious canvases swim ashore. Take the picks and the hammers. Undermine the foundation of venerable towns. The oldest among us are not yet 30 years old. We have therefore at least 10 years to accomplish our task. When we are 40, let stronger, younger men than we throw us in the waste paper basket like useless manuscripts. They will come against us from afar, but we shall not be there. They will find us one winter's night in the depths of the country in a single hangar, echoing with the notes of a monotonous rain, crouched near the trembling airplanes, warming our hands at the wretched fire which our books of today will make when they flame gaily beneath the glittering flights of their pictures. (sighs) Do you have anything he wrote after he was 40? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're gonna get to to that because he actually dies pretty young. He he may be a fascist, but ultimately he lives his truth. And you will see that. Okay. They will crowd around us, panting with anguish and disappointment, and exasperated by our proud, indefatigable courage. They will hurl themselves forward to kill us with all the more hatred, as their hearts will be drunk with love and admiration for us. And strong, healthy injustice will shine radiantly from their eyes, for art can only be violence, cruelty, and injustice. So anyway, at this point, I figured it's fair enough to give you a break. To, to Any thoughts? <laughs>
0: But that last line, I do feel that way often. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to direct my scoring Be- more toward galleries, oh,
1: uh, not but museums. B- you're but very astute. <laughs> I, I, you're reacting in line with my thesis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll go into some Wikipedia stuff. And I mean some paraphrased and some quoted directly just for the sake of ease. This manifesto was read and debated all across Europe, but first a little context. Modern Italy became a nation-state during the Risorgimento on March 17, 1861, when most of the states of the Italian peninsula and the kingdom of the two Sicilies were united under King Victor Emmanuel II of the House of Savoy, hitherto King of Sardinia. There's a beautiful monument to Vittorio Emanuele II called Altare della Patria, altar to the Fatherland. It goes by several names. They also call it the National Monument to Vittorio Emanuele. And that is in the Piazza Venezia on Capitoline Hill. Remember, there's seven hills in Rome. Piazza Venezia is also where Mussolini gave speeches from the balcony of the Palazzo Venezia, including the speech in which he declared war on Britain in 1940. So they became fascist imperialists in less than 100 years. Yeah. It was 80 years before the, the nation was founded. I forget I, oh, that this is one of the things that I forgot to do uh, I forget when it stopped being a kingdom but because I, I think Victoria was maybe the last one uh, so he was the one to, to unify all of Italy yeah. but you might also note that 1861 they became a nation after us by a while right oh, yeah. Anyway, it's important to note that though they were fascists, Italians were not entirely down with anti-semitism, which is true of Marinetti. He was a fascist who supported Mussolini, but not a racist. And we need to remember that the mafia, which started when workers unified and seized citrus farms from their owners using violent means, was well entrenched in Italian society. And the closest the Italian government ever came to destroying the mafia was when the fascists were in power. So. There were some very real social benefits. In fact, shakedowns like mafia shakedowns still happen in Rome. My mom 10 years ago was still living in Italy and she was going to a hairdresser who was right next to the Circus Maximus, which is where Ben-Hur chariot races scenes take place. In the, I mean, okay. they weren't shot there, but they take place in, in that hippodrome. And so the hairdresser, the owner of the place, would go on rants about how mafia guys were trying to mess with him for protection money, and he would just be really frustrated. So that's, like, a very real thing that we forget when we think of, like, beautiful Italy, but, like, yeah. that's prime real estate, and people, yeah. and, and to be there, he had to, huh. like, deal with that shit. So that's one of the things that I find interesting about Italians being fascists, and, like, I'm trying to understand it a little bit better, and I think that that sort of plays into it because... The society was sort of run not by the government in, mm-hmm. in, in many ways. And so I can see how there was a, a thrust to okay. like, and it's, and again, it's hard to separate the Axis from the horrible crimes <laughs> that the Germans yeah, yeah. did. Uh-huh. They didn't necessarily lie themselves with the best villains let's say, but it is interesting just from a cultural standpoint of how, like Italians that don't seem very fascist could become fascist. Mm. Anyway, in uh, 1908, a year before publishing the Futures Manifesto, Marinetti and Constantine Brancusi visited Abaye de Cretiel. This was a Fallonsteri community founded two years earlier by painters and poets. A phalanstery was a type of building designed for a self contained utopian community, ideally consisting of 500 to 2,000 people working together for mutual benefit, and developed in the early 19th century by Charles Fourier. Fourier chose the name by combining the word phalanx, which is a basic military unit in ancient Greece and the word monastery. The Abaye de Cretil was closed down by its members shortly after the visit. And I just realized that I had meant to only have to say that word once. (laughs) And I left it in twice. Anyway. So this is, this is also gives us an idea of how Italy's reacting at the time to sort of their, they have this idea that technology is going to save them. This is like pervasive throughout the, the, the culture. Okay. Marinetti's first futurist works were not well received, including Electricità Sessuale, which is sexual electricity is the, the title at a different title, but that's the one that it's remain remembered by from a later version. Uh, it didn't do well. However, it did have the first appearance on stage of humanoid autonomous. 10 years before Czech writer Karol Čapek would invent the term robot. Mm. So, he was on it in some ways. On the opening night, derisive whistling from audience members interrupted his play The Feasting King. Marinetti, however, flipped the script and joined in. After that experience, he would incorporate the desire to be heckled as a conceptual element of futurism. In 1910, his first novel, Mafraka il Futurista, was clear of all charges by an obscenity trial. That same year, Marinetti teamed up with Umberto Boccioni, Carlo Cara, Luigi Russolo, who all adopted the futurist philosophy. Together with them, Marinetti began a series of futurist happenings, theatrical spectacles in which futurists delivered manifestos in front of the crowd that in part attended the performances to throw vegetables at the performers. The most successful happening was for the release of the Manifesto against past-loving Venice. In Venice, and in it, Marinetti says, fill the small stinking canals with rubble from old collapsing and leprous palaces to prepare for the birth and the industrial and militarized Venice capable of dominating the Adriatic, a great Italian lake. (laughs) I think it's funny that he considers the Adriatic an Italian lake. Another important work of his was the Manifesto of Futurist Cooking. And this one's fun. So from this one, I, this is where we go into the listicle element. Again, another manifesto with 11. Hmm. And I'll show you just so you can see the text at the end. Oh, I chucked it off. <laughs> Good. Good job, Javier. You didn't need all those descriptions of little appliances is the word I was looking for. All right. So this is, I'm basically... In this, in this case, I'm not pulling from directly from the uh, manifesto. I really like this article by Maria Popova called The Futurist Cookbook, 11 Rules for a Perfect Meal and an Anti-Pasta Manifesto, circa 1932. And she says, at the time of its release, the cookbook became somewhat of a sensation. But while major newspapers like the Chicago Tribune proclaimed it to be a bold manifesto to revitalize culture by revolutionizing how we ate, what the media missed at first was that the cookbook was arguably the greatest artistic artistic prank of the twentieth century. It wasn't a populist effort to upgrade mass cuisine, but rather a highbrow quest to raise the nation's perhaps the world's collective artistic consciousness. The introduction to the 1989 edition, British journalist, historian and travel writer Leslie Chamberlain, I love British names are so easy to say, calls it a provocative work of art disguised as an easy to read cookbook and writes The Futures cookbook was a serious joke, revolutionary in the first instance, because it overturned with rival laughter everything food and cookbooks held sacred. The family, the table, great recipes, established notions of goodness and taste. What made futurist cooking so revolutionary was that it drew on food as a raw material for art and cultural commentary, reflecting the futurist idea that human experience is empowered and liberated by the presence of art in everyday life. That osmosis of Arte Vita. Now that is something that's still pretty relevant and happening a lot in LA. Arte Vita The idea of Just art as life And mm-hmm. this is Before the Dadaists You mm. know This guy's going, going Like Laying some some Pioneering groundwork Even though he's a Well Fascist asshole And And misogynist More importantly He was He kind of beat Gallagher To the whole <laughs> Using food <laughs> Yes I think I think that He was there by centuries Look at that I left a mark on the page And I remember I found my spot That's fucking amazing <laughs> Also revolutionary, and this is fun He preceded the modern low-carb craze by more than seven decades Outroaring even the most zealous contemporary adherents With the fascism of his convictions Pasta, he asserted, made people heavy in both body and spirit Turned them sour and pessimistic and robbed them of the creative impulse The riddance from pasta wasn't merely a matter of individual salvation Marinetti even made it a matter of patriotism arguing that the abolition of pasta would liberate Italy from the despotism of expensive foreign grain and instead boost the domestic rice industry. Which is... Imagine Italy without pasta if he had gotten his way. If, I, if fascism had been that efficient. <laughs> it's,
0: it's just so funny to think about fascism as taking pasta as its main focus.
1: <laughs> and just like his... He fucking hates Italy. <laughs> he's like in this rural country and he sees all these little glimpses of technology and he's like, got such a hard-on for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, yeah. can't, he can't handle it. Anyway, I love him. I mean, I, like, I wouldn't like him in person, probably. Or maybe I would. Maybe he would be like this weird... Conservative artist friend that I, that I don't doesn't exist now, but yeah. It's
0: hard to gauge his seriousness, his intensity. Like he seems very type A, but I, I don't know how, like what his is that fair to say? Like he just oh, seems yeah, very yeah, yeah. Uh, you know like no pain no gain kind of guy.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and he's just so eccentric, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, and the way he writes. I mean, I I I almost just read the Futures Manifesto. Completely, but then I felt like there was just so much more to it than just reading it. But that shit is just funny Anyway, again, we go into a list of 11s with the last one being long but edited one perfect meal according to futurism requires Originality and harmony in the table setting crystal china decor extending to the flavors and colors of the food number two absolute originality in the food Number 3, the invention of appetizing food sculptures whose original harmony to form and color feeds the eyes and excites the imagination before it tempts the lips. Number 4, the abolition of the knife and fork for eating food sculptures which can give prelabial tactile pleasure. The use of the art of perfumes to enhance tasting every dish must be preceded by a perfume which will be driven from the table with the help of electric fans <laughs> what? <laughs> wait what <laughs> yeah the use of music limited to the intervals between courses so as not to distract the sensitivity of the tongue and the palate but to help annul the last taste enjoyed by reestablishing gustatory virginity. <laughs> His writing is amazing. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if he's serious. I like, I genuinely don't know like what level, like obviously he's a fascist and all of that, but I don't know like how, how much of this shit is tongue in cheek and how much of it is just balls out sincere. Mm -hmm. Number seven, the abolition of speech making and politics at the table. I would fucking not be allowed (laughs) based on my behavior in the last two weeks, not be allowed at any of any futurist meeting. Uh, number eight, they use and prescribed doses of poetry and music as surprise ingredients to accentuate the flavors of a given dish with their sensual intensity. Number nine, the rapid presentation between courses under the eyes and nostrils of the guests of some dishes they will eat and others they will not, to increase their curiosity, surprise, and imagination. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. MM10, the creation of simultaneous and changing canapes, which contain 10, 20 flavors to be tasted in a few seconds. In Futures cooking, these canapes have by analogy the same amplifying function that images have in literature. A given taste of something can sum up an entire area of life, the history of an amorous passion or an entire voyage to the Far East. And then number 11 is a battery of scientific instruments in the kitchen. And he goes on to list a a, a lot of them that I'm not going to tell you. Because we've gone long and I have reached my summation. But uh, anyway, for the sake of brevity, (laughs) uh, I will wrap it up by saying this guy was a fascist, anarchist, misogynist, (laughs) non-anti-Semite. with a hard-on for what ended up getting him killed, which was war. He did go and die in war. He died pretty young, like a lot of the futurists did, but he was still onto something as hilarious and upsetting as some of his ideas are. He started the only 20th century avant-garde movement to embrace far-right politics. It's a movement that went on to influence constructivism, Dada, and a bunch of other stuff, and pioneered approaches to art practice that are actively embraced today. And he was a fascist. This is 100 years ago, and his love of technology is not foreign to us today. Like, the, I feel like there is a little bit of that uh, same, like, oh, this stuff, oh, the, the nurturing teat of gutter <laughs> waste. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that actually, my art history professor told me that story. I hadn't read the manifesto in college, and oh my God. I was so happy when I found it. Yeah. it. When it was like the the centerpiece of it, because it just it's it's so it's that ignorance that's like so fucking charming about him in retrospect.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like there's maybe there's some influence on Ballard.
1: Ballard, I'm not. JG there.
0: Ballard, the Crash, the, the focus on car. You don't know Ballard's writing.
1: Is that is that the one that uh, what's his name made a movie about where people have sex and wrecked cars? Yeah, 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 Okay. How how so? How how do you think he's influencing? I
0: you know I haven't actually read any of Ballard's that's stuff. Right. I mean, I've started a this couple. This is a podcast. You don't need to know
1: what you're talking about. Yeah, there's about.
0: another one that's it's about a guy who somehow crashes his car on this weird little hidden part of the median of a highway, mm-hmm. and then he can't find his way out. He's just stuck down there with, I think, like, the corpses of other cars that have, you know, gotten stuck down there. Mm. Just thinking about this, you know, this whole landscape that's created by the car and the in the auto industry and the highways and the kind of, like, obsession with speed and machines and all this. Yeah. Thing. Do you ever watch, I think it's called Chef's Table? No, but I've heard of it. I don't know if that's the, the show that I'm thinking of, but... I feel like he touches on a lot of things that these very modern chefs are actually doing. Like, really? What was this thing with the fan?
1: <laughs> Here, let me go back to that. Yeah. Oh my god, I just love the, the fucking manifestos. The use of the art of perfumes to enhance tasting. Every dish must be preceded by a perfume which will be driven from the table with the help of electric fans. I guess so that's like, you bring the smell and then you clear it out.
0: Yeah, or, I mean, a lot of these chefs use devices that, you know, incorporate the smell of something into the eating experience, mm-hmm. which I don't know if he was the one who invented that, but we can say I was. feel like it's a very modern way of thinking about cuisine.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. There, when I heard about this, when I heard about futurism, it was always presented to me as like a useless movement, but I... Mm-hmm strongly disagree after getting into it a little bit hmm. there is a lot of I think because he was a poet and not a visual artist I think that he gets defined by a term that because of art history you know it happened with the Dada or it happened at a certain point but it's not as clear of a line historically yeah. it he he hits on some things that we credit other people before with with sort of that approach of mm-hmm. the, the happenings. are Our, our data, the data has had happenings yeah. and that this was happening before that. And the idea of being heckled and, and sort of, that makes the audience part of the performance in, in a way that maybe was a little bit more avant-garde at the time. And it was a fascist, it's just crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there anything more explicit in, in the fascist, from the fascist angle. And yes, he was he very
1: big with Mussolini. He was a huge supporter. He joined the fascist party early on. I kept all of that stuff out because it, it, it was just, it was relevant and really important, but mm-hmm. I was already at seven pages. I don't know how long we've been talking, <laughs> but it feels like it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> so it's... I didn't want to uh, to go too far. But yeah, Italian fascism is something that is interesting to me because it's such an old culture It's sort of how I think of it's a culture that was established during that period where the merchant class gained power. And it's 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 a it's a balance that transition happened over there. And also we saw them go like those were the really powerful states in the Mediterranean. And so there's some cultural relics of like like if you look at the mafia and you think of the Medici, they're pretty much a mafia they have they use the same sort of influence policies, and there's a there's an element there it's not mafia, obviously because it comes way before that but it's a culture where the mafia was gonna happen and I don't know specifically why <laughs> I don't pretend to hmm. but but I also think that that's an interesting thing to consider all the stuff about the mafia is stuff that I read in a book that I don't have anymore, and I've forgotten so I can't cite it but but yeah it's 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 interesting how even something that we think of a, as as a sort of modern you know the goddies having all the nicest toys and stuff it started off as just hoods in you know thugs in uh, in citrus farms in in Sicily and and then through those citrus farms. So it's a very agricultural, non-industrial revolution. And I think in a lot of ways, that's that's sort of how the fascism reacts to that cultural element that's there. Mm-hmm. And it's, you see cultural tendencies that have been established over long periods of time in all cultures, right? Like, I don't want to get too controversial, but there is sort of a cultural thing in Italy about trying to get away with something where restaurants will give you the wrong, the wrong total. They'll charge you for more things. And if you don't catch it, that's on you. And it's sort of that attitude of stealing is not necessarily the worst sin over there. And it's an interesting difference. And I think that that just comes from You know, America, America has its own atrocities, (laughs) but you get what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a, it's a very different place than, than, than we're used to. So when we think of fascism and we think of Italians, I understand how people have a hard time bridging that gap. And I, but I also think that there was something that they got out of fascism that helped society in certain ways that they thought were beneficial and maybe weren't as horif- horrific because they weren't killing as many Jews. They were mostly interested in trying to establish their own empire, um, which is shit too, but we do it every day. <laughs> mm. they, I, I think they, they, they went and conquered Ethiopia and, uh, well, this is how important it is, okay? My favorite team is AS Roma. And they share, a, Or I don't know what the new situation with the stadium is, but they had a stadium called Estadio Olimpico, which is part of a sports complex that Mussolini built. And in that, there are some really interesting mosaics as you're walking down of Ethiopians with tanks and then sort of praising themselves for Italy finally has their empire. And this is ambitious, because they were founded in 1861. By 1940, they were already declaring war on the British. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an interesting time in in history. And I think, obviously, Italy is really important historically. But I think as we get into more contemporary movements, we forget it, and we maybe discard it or think of, you know, the German Dada was more influential than futurism was. But... If you look at Antonio Santelía, that guy is a futurist, and he wasn't, or it's not known if he was pro-Mussolini, uh, because he died too early to, to get that far, but he is responsible for my childhood being so obsessed with sci-fi, because all of the buildings were had this very slick modernist style that he he created, the, the future style and he never completed a, a single architectural project he died before, he could really get going and it's just on his drawings, him and I forgot, forget the other guy's name, it's one of those things that if you go to Rome there is a layering of very classical architecture and very modern architecture. And there's something that I grew up with that was romantic to me about all of that, where it was like just a sci-fi fantasy that that had rural places where like you would go, we would go camping and it would be the craziest lampposts that were super modern looking. And just little details like that, even in, in rural areas that sort of makes Italy feel like this really old country, but really in tune with modernity i think that if there's a mausoleum that they built oh god i shouldn't have brought it up because i don't know which one i'm talking about but there there's some there's some really interesting projects happening where there's a mausoleum but they built a structure around it to protect it and it's pretty modern looking and so yeah so a lot of my early work is just obsessed with that stuff you know my bfa work mm-hmm. but yeah anyway i think i'm done you have any questions uh no i think um do you want to see how long i rambled for
0: yeah he really turned it to 11
1: (laughs) hey guys if you had fun feel like you learned something rate us review us on itunes that helps us and if you want to subscribe that's actually very nice too i'm at javier proenza on instagram and seth is
0: at seth Lauer. on instagram You gotta say on Instagram. On Instagram. There we go.